0: Welcome to Building Better. This is Jared Siliker. We've got a fun episode for you today. We're building on episode nine, continuing a vibrant conversation about wood as an important climate solution. But not all wood is created equal. In fact, most lumber extraction leads to a degraded environment. So in order to deliver on its carbon storage promises, we need to push for sustainable forestry practices. I've got two friends with me today on the podcast to help unpack this complex equation. Brad Kahn is the Communications Director for the Forest Stewardship Council in the U.S. FSC provides the most trusted certification system for wood products, offering independent assurance of best-in-class forest management. And Terry Campbell is Vice President of Sustainable Impact at Sustainable Northwest Wood in Portland, Oregon. He picks up the phone when I call looking for FSC Lumber to support Living Building Challenge projects. He really understands the lumber supply throughout the region and is an invaluable resource to me and many other project teams. Both Brad and Terry are doing great work to promote sustainable forestry and get more good wood into building projects. We talk about FSC certification and examine the many values that it covers, such as water and air quality and biodiversity. We also touch on wildfires, small farms, tribal lands, and corporate climate commitments. We've got lots to discuss here at Building Better. Hi, guys. Uh, welcome to Building Better.
1: Hi, Jared. Hey, Jared.
0: All right. We got Brad here in Seattle. Uh, I'm, I'm also in Seattle. And uh, Terry reporting in from Portland, Oregon. Uh, so great to have you both. Um, how's everybody doing? Surviving... Uh, Gray winter in the northwest.
2: Inside yeah. the bubble, all is fine. Yeah,
1: all <laughs> good, all good. Looking for
0: great, great. Uh, well, uh, we're going to talk a lot about uh wood today and uh sustainable forestry. Uh, on a previous episode of Building Better, we we kind of started this conversation uh mostly through the lens of mass timber. Uh, we touched on the many climate benefits of building with wood. uh, But we didn't talk too much about the sourcing side of the equation, which is very important. Uh, You know, I think the short version of this is yes, let's use more wood and less concrete and steel to put up our buildings. Um, But we can't just clear cut forests in the process. Um, So in order to truly reduce those carbon emissions, we need to manage our forests and lumber supply in a sustainable manner. Uh, and uh, Terry and Brad are going to help kind of dissect that uh, uh, riveting conversation. I think um, so. A lot to unpack. Um, maybe Brad, if you would, could you could you just get us started on you know some quick thoughts on why wood is a great building material, and maybe sort of how you think about sustainable forestry.
2: Yeah, thanks, Jared. So there's lots of reasons to like wood, uh, you know, personally, the aesthetics, the, the feel, the, you know, the, the smell of it in many cases. Um, but I, I think it also really has to tie back to the forest. And so I want to start there. Uh, forests are, um, in my mind, really central to life on Earth. Uh, 80% of biodiversity on the planet or terrestrial biodiversity uh, lives in forests or depends on forests. Uh, about two-thirds of the water that we drink uh, comes from forests in the United States, a forested watershed. Uh, the air we breathe is, is in many cases, the oxygen created um, by healthy forests. Uh, obviously, the carbon cycle uh, forests are both drivers of climate change and solutions to climate change, and so you know I don't think it's over-selling it to say forests are key to life on Earth. And so when we think about wood use, I think we have to look at it through the lens of life on Earth. And are we using wood in a way that is protecting, enhancing, restoring the values that forests deliver? or are we using wood that is degrading those values? And, and the answer, the, the reality is that not all wood is the same. Some wood is coming from responsibly managed forests that are um, really protecting values like biodiversity and uh, carbon storage and watershed protection and indigenous people's rights and, and many others. Um, and, and frankly, the, the, the standard of the forest products industry right now, intensive management, where wood and forestry is treated more through a commodity lens uh, is pretty intensive and pretty degrading and, and degrading of all those values I just mentioned. And, and so for a, a construction project team, it can be really uh, tricky to figure out which is which and how to, how to um, really support the kind of forest management that aligns with the, the goals of the, of the project team or the, the, the building owner or developer. Um, it's not all the same. And and it really matters um, where the wood comes from. That really, in some ways, is order of magnitude more important than um, all the other aspects of the the manufacturing process, the transportation, the milling, um, those matter too. Uh, But the forestry really determines uh, a lot of the outcomes and whether at the end of the day, you have a building that uh, aligns with values around climate and biodiversity and respect for um, people uh, or not. So um, that's, you know, I, I think it's really important. Obviously, I have, I have a bias. Uh, I'll just own that right up front. But um, we know that there's a lot of people out there really working hard to do the right thing and, and obviously uh, gravitating towards mass timber as a solution to climate change or as a way to use um, wood from overstocked forests in, in fire-prone ecosystems or putting... Um, people to work in, in rural communities that are dependent on the forest products industry for for jobs. Well, the reality is none of that happens by accident. Typically, it takes a lot of hard work with the forest managers, with the mills, with the other players in the supply chain. If your goal is to li- deliver rural jobs, don't just assume that happens because you're building with wood. Or if your goal is to mitigate the, the risks of wildfire, Again, you can't just assume. You have to look into what is this forest manager doing to make sure that those outcomes are are happening, and how do I find people who are trying to deliver those benefits uh, and buy wood from them? Um, but it, it takes a lot of work, and obviously FSC has something to to do with all of this. But I'll I'll talk about that in, in a moment.
0: Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. Let's we'll we'll come back to FSC. You know, Terry definitely spends a lot of time uh, working hard to you know, figure out where a lot of our wood in the Northwest comes from. Uh, so I don't know, Terry, you want to add anything there to Brad's overview from your perspective?
1: No, great overview, Brad. Thank you for that. Um, yeah, there's lots of goals being uh, attempted. We're trying to achieve a lot of things in a very complex system. Forests are very complicated and they, they, they even in just a region like the Northwest, um, the way things are managed on the West side of the Cascades are different than the East side of the Cascades. And there's lots of different land managers. So it's a complicated landscape, uh, literally. And, um, and I think that with that, um, there's also a lot of, you know, there are a lot of beneficial products if you want to like, um, boil it down to that come from, from land management that is not always, um, traditionally forested so i feel like one of the overview takeaways would be to kind of no matter where you are in the country or the world there may be a local solution that you maybe have overlooked that um is definitely climate smart if it's local because um, that's kind of cutting out a lot of that transportation um those transportation issues so uh yeah we can get into more of this as we get down the road but uh yeah, that's kind of a, a bit of a, st- a starter.
0: Great, great. And so, uh, you know, you both deal a bunch with FSC Forest Stewardship Council. Um, let's just quickly, you know, give that overview as well. I think we we are saying that that is one solution to, to doing what we just described. You know, you want you want to source good wood for your project. Uh, Certainly, in in my experience, uh, you know, I call I am calling Terry to help me find that wood, and and FSC is a is a great solution um, for project teams to say, I want to hit this this type of goal. I have a, a a label a certification that that really simplifies that for me at a project level, but clearly that's, it's a, it's, it's a complex equation behind the scenes. You know, we're, we're talking about, as you guys have alluded to, you know, transparency of, you know, what, how, how forests are managed and and where it's coming from. And, uh, and so, yeah, do you guys want to like kind of unpack that a bit? So FSC was
2: created in 1993 in response to uh, really a failure at the Rio Earth Summit by governments to come together around solutions to stop deforestation and forest degradation. And FSC, the premise is, can we use uh, the market to recognize and reward forest managers who are doing better work, better forestry, uh, and try to create a market incentive, a voluntary approach that incentivizes better performance in the woods, better environmental and social outcomes. And and so that's the basis for FSC, and and the system has really grown over the past uh, 20-plus years uh, into one that now covers uh, 500 million acres globally and um, pushing 50,000 companies that are part of the FSC system. In North America, it's about 165 million acres. And about uh, 4,000 companies, so uh, it's really become a, a global player and a national player in in the United States. But that doesn't mean that it's even the lion's share of the forest products industry in in the United States or in North America, uh, especially in the solid wood sector. Uh, you know, construction materials. FSC still represents just a small percentage of what's out there, and and the reality is. Um, FSC asks more of the forest managers than they would otherwise have to do under the state regulations or the best management practices of the place. Forestry um, rules and regulations are largely set at the state level other than the Endangered Species Act and the Clean Water Act, which are federal. Um, so really when you when you talk about you know forestry in the United States, you're saying, what is the state requirements? And and the reality is, of course, that the forest products industry has aggressively lobbied uh, at every state level uh, for the the most um, relaxed requirements they can get away with. And so in some states, uh, practices are still allowed that are very degrading of forest values, everything from biodiversity and clean water to uh, habitat for uh, rare threatened endangered species, use of hazardous chemicals. Um, there's a lot of emphasis in the green building sector on um, materials and thinking about chemicals that are used inside of the buildings or in the manufacturing supply chains. Well, I would put forward that we should be every bit as concerned about the chemicals that are sprayed on forests, frequently from airplanes and helicopters, ending up on um, in waterways, sometimes on the forest workers or on surrounding communities or people who live in and around the forests. I don't want to be the doomsayer here, but the status quo is what got us into so many of the problems. And FSC really represents performance well beyond what would otherwise be the status quo. And the upside of that is that we can show that FSC delivers measurable benefits in the forest. For example, Ecotrust did study that That found FSC on average stores 30% more carbon than conventional forestry in Oregon and Washington. Um, It varies by forest manager, but that's just an average number. Uh, The other side of that coin is when you ask more of the forest managers, by definition, not everyone is going to meet that standard. Uh, So FSC roughly represents about 10% of the marketplace. That's a very rough estimate more in some products, less in others. But um, what that means is that there still can be a lot of challenges around finding not just enough FSC product, but the right kind of product in the right place at the right time. So it does take work to do the right thing. and, and that you know, the future we would like, we would we would hope that in the future we're not competing um, based on environmental degradation or environmental performance. We're competing on price and value and quality, things like that. But today, um, th- those things are really differentiators and um, FSE is tricky to find in some places uh, and at some times. I would put forward, it's, it's, if your goal is um, you know climate smart building or building that respects local communities and indigenous people or less toxic chemicals in the, in the forestry or whatever your goals might be, FSE is still probably the easiest way for you to achieve those goals. The harder way is to get to know the forest managers in your region and figure out how to get wood from those forests into your project, which teams are increasingly doing. And to their credit, it's it's a lot of work to do it that way. It's, it's definitely takes more time and energy than just buying FSC wood from sustainable Northwest wood. That's good too. We encourage it. Um, but people think, oh, FSC is so hard. I would say, well, try the alternative and then get back to me and see if FSC still looks hard Um, because it's actually much easier than, than trying to get wood from a specific source into a construction project.
1: The way I I like to talk when I'm talking to design and construction professionals about the value of FSC um, and I I try to put it into, into their sort of way of life. um, It's sort of, it's sort of, an analogous situation in the building trade to to building to code, so most of the certification programs outside of FSC in the United States are pretty much kind of reaffirming state and federal law. They don't really ask for higher performance. So, um, and, and yet the project teams that usually reach out to us, and I think that are I think most people are trying to design and build above code these days um, because that's we know that that's how we're going to. Combat climate change. That's how we're going to combat some of the challenges we face. So there's that's the sort of value you get out of FSC. It's almost definitely going to require forest managers to exceed state and federal law in their region vis-a-vis forest management. Um, and then you know I feel like to Brad's point, uh, getting to know local suppliers and and local uh, land management issues. Uh, in your region depend, and you can kind of decide on how big a region that could be. It could be one state, it could be 500 miles. It could be the Western 13 states. It could be your country. Um, there are lots of things going on out there, uh, in, uh, on landscapes that, um, uh, that, that could be, could benefit the land improvements could be benefited from you sourcing material from them. And, um, in the in the northwest i mean i'll just give one example um we offer a product uh it's it's juniper uh it comes from sort of inland arid uh sagebrush restoration projects where it's not a forest um juniper was a native species of of eastern oregon Uh, but due to human uh, impacts around grazing and uh, suppression of fire uh, The juniper trees have kind of grown out of their kind of mountainous area and out into these native grasslands and they're disrupting that ecosystem and they have been for 100 years. And so there's a big effort to return that native grassland ecosystem to a more balanced status. And to do that, we need to remove the juniper trees. So this is a scenario where actual removal and not replanting is is the benefit. and, and and I imagine that just because um humans have been active on landscapes all over North America this is probably not uh, the, the, just a the situation in Oregon I imagine there's other products out there on the east coast and the midwest and Canada and the southeast that could be falling into the same basket so um it you know it takes as Brad said early on it's it takes work i mean you're not just kind of rubber stamping another project here. Um, you, you want to dig a little deeper and FSC is the off the shelf, um, most credible off the shelf product certification that you could plug in for forest products. But if you're having a tough time finding that in your region, um, there may be other beneficial products that are improving landscapes there too. So.
0: So the, the juniper example is, is one of those that's, if I'm, if I've got that correct, is not FSC, um, but is, you know, but has great benefits as well as you, as you noted. Is that right?
1: Correct. Yes. Yeah. And it, they do get conflated together sometimes, which is, um, which, which it's, you know, sometimes we're getting asked for FSC juniper and, um, and, and it's, it's, it's a different story, which we're happy to share with everybody. I mean, what we would need to have a certification for the juniper would be, um the gsc which be the grassland stewardship council and that's a, that's sort of a joke that i tell architects when i'm because that's what we're trying to restore here is grasslands we're trying to restore grasslands juniper trees are total water hogs i mean a mature tree can drink 35 gallons of water a day in a very dry climate um, and they also cause a lot of soil erosion they totally disrupt sagegrass habitat and um and if you live in the west you know sage-grouse are kind of on the brink of of going on Mm -hmm. the endangered species list so um, you can definitely attribute sort of juniper explosion over the last hundred years as as one of the culprits there Um, but then there's more too right there's more to it as brad alluded to earlier in the sense that um we have a lot of federal land that needs to be restored as well um it's sort of been unmanaged for the last 30 years uh in some areas and um you know mother nature didn't stop dropping rain and and providing photosynthesis sun for photosynthesis the stuff is growing um Mm -hmm. and in some regions uh of the west and i imagine in other parts of the country too maybe um going back to those public lands and 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 looking to restore a balanced ecosystem is critical um and and again i mean i think a goal of ours would be to to uh to make sure that's being done authentically and genuinely so that the market, when they're buying a product that says it's restored, they have some validity that it's not, uh, that it's being restored and, um, and and that there's a certain balance being recalibrated in, in those forests. Um, and if you look in the West <laughs> uh, at a map of, of land ownership, you will quickly understand and where a lot of you know forest fires get started and sort of run rampant, you will quickly understand the the, the importance in, in in getting to a balanced uh, ecosystem on those landscapes.
0: Yeah. Now you've you've both mentioned uh, forest fires, wildfires. You know, I think this is clearly a uh, a hot topic. Uh, and you know, one we're all we're all paying atten- attention to. Um, yeah. Any any other thoughts on how kind of this you know, our our building uh, goals interact with forest management that that then gets to at least part of the equation to reducing wildfires?
2: There's a lot that can be done on that front. So a a few reactions to some things that Terry was saying. First of all, I do think, generally speaking, buy local is is a great thing to do. Uh, But, you know, I I joke, I'm a excellent Amazon Prime customer. Uh, Amazon is a Seattle-based company and I live in Seattle. Uh, I think when I buy from Amazon, I like to joke that I'm buying local. I don't think that's what most people mean. Um, You know, Warehouser is a local Seattle company as well. Uh, You know, that Mm -hmm. may or may not meet your objective around buying forest products. Um, I'm not going to comment on that. But Uh, My point is that I think we need to add another lens to buying local. You could just be buying a local clear cut uh, with lots of chemicals added to it, especially out in the Western United States. Local is one screen on the values. What else is happening in the management to suggest that it aligns with your values? Uh, You know, I think we need to look a little bit more closely uh, on that. Um, I will continue to buy locally through Amazon probably every day. Uh, but <laughs> that's different. Um, but I also want to say on the f- wildfire side, uh, the um, we have a lot of overstocked forests. And so frequently management, more management to reduce a, the, the, the density of, of small diameter timber on those forests is a way to address wildfire. I was able to visit the Colville National Forest uh, last fall and see what they were doing around um, wildfire mitigation. And they're also trying to just basically restore the health of a a forest system that's been degraded over years. And and they're doing it in a way that they're selling timber to local operators. Um, FSC, National Forests can become FSC certified. Today, there are no National Forests that are FSC certified. We are in the process of talking with the U.S. Forest Service about when, how, and what that would look like. But as anyone who pays any attention to national forests know, the budgets have shifted heavily towards fighting fires, which has sucked resources away from forest management activities generally and you know more preventative activities specifically. That doesn't mean there aren't specific forests. So the Colville has has found an innovative financing model that actually allows them to do a lot of uh, preventative work and, and reduce the risk of wildfire. Uh, and they have a, a established a budget to do that. But generally speaking, you know, FSC uh, has, has to find the right fit with a national forest. Um, it's relatively new that national forests could get FSC certified. So I want to get that piece of somewhat new information out there. Uh, But, you know, I I think that if you're a, you know, there's a lot of talk about, oh, cross laminated timber can rely on smaller diameter logs and you're putting smaller pieces of wood together to make these larger panels. And that is true in theory. The question is, you know, is the company I'm buying my panels from actually doing that work? And so, you know, for example, Russ Vaughan up in Vaughan Timbers, is really trying to pioneer this work, working with the Colville National Forest. Um, Russ is not FSC certified, although I, th- you know, I like to think that he's doing really good work. Uh, his company, I should say, um, it's more than just him. Uh, so, uh, you know, there are solutions out there. Uh, certainly, from an FSC perspective, we're trying to look at, you know, how to how does restoration of a fire-prone landscape that uh, whether it's because of um, wildfires that have been prevented over many generations, and thus you have overstocking, or in some national forest contexts, you know, under you know uh, under management, um, it could just be you know areas put off limits to harvest for whatever reason, uh, where you know trees have grown up, and uh, and fire has been suppressed, and and then you get a a, a really um, fire prone landscape and so there are some solutions there and fse is looking to be a way for um, construction project teams others to really recognize that good work because you know at some point you just have to either trust the forest manager that he or she is doing a good job or you need to look for you know external validation and and sustainable northwest is doing that work another thing to look for if you're a, a construction project team trying to support that kind of forestry is look for forest collaboratives almost every national forest in the western united states will have some group of stakeholders typically local community development types and you know forest products industry but also environmental groups some of these groups are you know more active and stronger and others are you know more ad hoc but these groups can give you a, a sense of you know are these folks doing good work what kinds of outcomes are they generating on the ground who do I talk to to try to find how to get this wood? How do I get it into my projects? These collaboratives can be a very useful starting point because it's not then it's not just you talking to the forest manager who likely is going to tell you they're doing good work. It, it gives you some external validation um, in a setting where maybe there isn't an FSC certified option. And a lot of those collaboratives are focused on wildfire mitigation because that's obviously a primary benefit for the people and communities li- you know, living around these national forests. They are laser focused on reducing the risk of wildfire because it frequently can have really catastrophic impacts on their own lives.
1: I'll, I'll also add to that that... It- um, post uh, the Labor Day fires here in Oregon of 2020, there's there's some teams doing research on the impacts uh, of those fires on public land versus sort of small scale, like smaller uh, woodland owners and, and industrial land. And, and there'll be some interesting conclusions. Um, some of the preliminary conclusions may suggest that uh, some of the industrial managed land actually went up a little quicker and maybe helped, sp- like sort of fan the flames just due to just the way they're managed and they were not. And, and, you know, again, those fires were, <laughs> we like to claim once in a hundred years, just due to the sort of wind conditions. But um I feel like if folks are curious about um, forest fires and maybe, you know, looking at, Land uh, styles of land management and learning from them. There'll there'll be some sort of research that's going to get published here probably this year that that followed up on some of that. Um, mm. Yeah. And
0: Terry, and Terry, what are you seeing? Just sort of the 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 reality for the supply chain of those forest fires. What's what's been the on on the ground experience?
1: Yeah. Yeah, so I mean <laughs> it's sort of a a bit of um it's uh it's 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 a bit calamitous frankly. I mean because um some people there's a there's a struggle between leaving some of the woody debris for natural uh purposes and then there's a big drive to sort of like get the cut out meaning like let's get these dead logs out um so it's kind of created this um back and forth where in Oregon anyways the Department of Forestry has um has collected some criticism for maybe overcutting some of the fire prone zones um and, and so there hasn't really been a tightening of supply because I feel like it's maybe the the the, the fire scorched logs that are salvageable have either made it to a mill already um in the last year and a couple months or, um, or, or destined to. Um, but there is a bit of a window there and there needs to be a balance struck between leaving some material for natural purposes and, 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 and removing some of them so that they don't fall, uh, on cars or they can help kind of keep the supply stream going. We're also in like a sort of unprecedented crazy, um, lumber market right now. So that, um, drives up interest in, in, in logs. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah. And, and, Terry, how about any other any other examples of the of the small farms, the you know potentially non FSC, but but still you know good practices, you know, and any other storylines there to, that you want to highlight?
1: Yeah, no, I appreciate Brad. I mean, again, all these situations are. Re- 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 Relatively complicated with multiple lenses, and and yes, nobody wants to degrade their own backyard just uh, to shop local. Indeed, um, and so so if you can keep it, relative. I mean, if, if that's one of your values is to keep it local, then yes, go to the extra level. Um, and there there are small there are small woodland owners who do amazing forestry and and can't afford any of the forest certification systems for that matter. Um, and, and, and unfortunately, sometimes their efforts go unrecognized. Um, and so, you know, for bigger projects that, you know, that that can kind of fall into, uh, you know, a, an abyss of all the land managers. But there have been some projects in our region here in, in the sort of Portland metro, uh, I'll call out the PDX airport, that have gone a deep dive. Um, they've done a really deep dive. Uh, they really started off trying to just source material from the sort of Columbia Basin, um, and, and because it, the Columbia River runs right by the airport, and um, and they've expanded that a little bit, uh, but they are giving big preference to to small woodland owners who uh, are either FSC certified or um, you know are doing uh, you know sort of as better than state law would require forest management. Um, they are also preferencing wood coming from Native American lands, which. Traditionally, my understanding is um, Native American tribes have done pretty good forestry, um, better than sort of maybe their industrial peers would in the industry. Um, sometimes they just have a they have a much different mindset as to what the por- forest should be providing. It's not just sticks or lumber. It's 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 a lot of other benefits, um, and, and so. So, you know, that's that team for PDX has had some consultants helping them kind of do that deep dive, um, but that's where we've seen the interest in like, we want FSC where we can get it. Um, it's a great story and we want validity that we're, you know, putting our dollars in the right places, but there are other um, folks, there are other land managers out there and, and mill operators who Aren't FSC certified, maybe yet that we would also like to encourage along, um, and, and so so those consultants have helped them connect with those operators and and v- validate that the management they're doing is is kind of up to what the airport expects. So there's going to be a lot of storytelling for years coming out of that project. Um, yeah, it should be great. Nice,
2: Can I offer a couple additional uh, thoughts there? Uh, yeah, yeah. So. First of all, I think the, the big players in the forest products industry get a lot of attention, but actually the vast majority of the forests in the United States are owned by what would be called either smallholders or family woodlands, you know, 50 or 100 or maybe up to 1,000 or 2,000 acres, um, relatively small players. And, uh, and in fact, in the FSC system, we're seeing the, the biggest growth in our system in terms of the forest management certification among these family woodlands, and the model that has been uh, successful is what's called group certification. And so, if you're under a uh, thousand hectares, which is about about twenty five hundred acres, uh, you can join a, a, a group. Um, actually, you can be larger and still join a group. And there, the benefits are that there's you know you're sharing the the costs with other members of that group, uh, and you. In in many cases, you're also getting technical support from a group manager who helps you. You know, if you're someone who, you know, has a family woodland uh, and are you know managing it, but you're usually hiring a consulting forester to help you think about, you know, where to cut and how much in the market and all of that. The groups offer some technical assistance to that kind of a forest manager, um, and and so in the northwest. Uh, The Northwest Natural Resource Group is actually managing uh, an FSC group of of hundreds of of landowners that add up to, uh, I think, close to 250,000 acres of forest land right now. So combined, it's a pretty substantial body. And, you know, some of these folks are, you know, harvesting not every year, maybe every few years, or maybe, oh, the kids are going to college, I better do some harvesting because I could use a little additional income. Um, some of these folks are managing different parts of their property every year. so it, it, the intensity varies um, but it, but you still can get um, the you know, the FSE wood from these groups and in fact that can be a, a very um, common way for wood to come in. It's especially common in the southeastern US where family woodlands are are really the dominant landowner category. And a lot of the big pulp and paper companies, International Paper and Georgia Pacific and um, Kimberly Clark and Procter and Gamble, you know, are really uh, aggressively working with uh, family woodland owners through the FSC group model to uh, generate enough pulp to meet consumer demand for paper and tissue products. It's a little bit different in solid wood, but it it's similar similar dynamics.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's great, and that starts to make me think of you know we've talked a bunch about supply of of this wood. How about on the demand side? Like any thoughts on how we ramp this up? You know, ramp the demand up more. You know, I deal a lot with living building challenge projects and lead projects, which clearly are great drivers in in their requirements. But as we know, those are you know a, a fraction of the the market in the construction market and so it's like you know of course we we want all of those benefits but we know only a certain number of projects are going to go through that full process Uh, but if we if we narrowed our our lens to to wood or uh, you know kind of building structures uh you know we we can still we could still have a great benefit if we could drive the you know more fsc or, or some of these other solutions that are focused on sustainable forestry, carbon, carbon reduction through structure, um, building structures. So I don't know, any, any, uh, any ideas out there on how we move that needle?
2: So yes, climate, uh, people care about forests for all sorts of reasons. But if I look at what is the market willing to pay for today, Carbon storage is clearly the ecosystem service that has the most de- developed market around it, both regulated through the Air Resource Board, for example, in California, but, uh, but largely voluntary, uh, driven by corporate um, climate commitments. And so if you think about the large technology firms that are driving a lot of real estate development, or even the large retailers, uh, they are... Almost all of them have a commitment to net zero or a commitment to even um, you know negative emissions by a certain date, and increasingly they're looking at the embodied emissions tied to their construction, um, you know, to varying degrees. And so that's really where mass timber and wood generally comes into the equation. Um, FSC. Uh, so the, I mentioned earlier the the research that EcoTrust conducted in Oregon and Washington. Uh, FSC is building on that research right now uh, with uh, studies underway in, uh, in the Gulf Coast, uh, looking at uh, uh, Ponder- uh, Southern Yellow Pine in the Gulf Coast and also in the Western Boreal Forest of Alberta to try to understand does that sort of finding hold true in other important forest regions. Uh, we're looking to also add in a study in California, uh, as well as in the you know, Ontario, Quebec, Area of Eastern Canada. Again, every forest is a little bit different, but we want to understand: Does does the finding about FSC storing more forest in storing more carbon in the forest? Does that hold up around the country? And as we add more sort of data points, uh, we think that the credibility around those claims will grow. Because you know, for a company that has a, a climate commitment or even an internal carbon price let's say you know they're building a data center and the wood package if it's FSC is going to have a 5 or 10% premium on it well if they can quantify the carbon benefit of that uh, of that FSC of those FSC practices you know on the ground uh, and translate that carbon benefit into tons of CO2 you know their internal carbon price might justify well more than that premium and so we're not we're not there yet but um, even today, just to be able to say, well, we paid a bit more for the FSC, um, which is not always true, but is probably going to be the case in most situations. Uh, but we got these carbon benefits from it, and we're committed to carbon neutrality or we're committed to climate action. And so this commitment to FSC. Is part of that equation. We're trying to break down the wall between responsible sourcing and climate action because frequently those things are seen somewhat differently in a lot of the big, uh, the big companies in particular. When in fact they're really obviously two sides of the same coin. Um, we're also we're we're uh, partnered up with a, a variety of uh, of groups: uh, World Wildlife Fund, EcoTrust, Sustainable Northwest. Um, the Carbon Leadership Forum at the University of Washington, uh, MKA, which is an engineering firm, um, the Washington Environmental Council, I might have forgotten somebody, Northwest Natural Resource Group if I didn't say them, to uh, develop what's called the Climate Smart Wood Group. And what we realize is that most construction teams don't have a lot of forestry expertise on the team. They're trying to get wood. On time, on budget, to meet the needs of the project and keep things moving forward. Um, and yet, they're, they're uh, you know, whether through their own commitments or the commitments of the client that has hired them, uh, trying to meet these lofty goals around climate. And so the Climate Smart Wood Group is really designed to help the construction industry in North America find climate smart wood products to support and advance climate smart forestry. So then the natural questions are, okay, how do we define climate smart forestry? And how do I get these <laughs> products into, my, into my project? And so uh, those are the questions that we are coming together to help answer. And the, the reality is climate smart forestry, our kind of absolutes are, it should be more than just what's required by law because we have to do better than status quo if we're gonna solve climate change. But that could be more carbon storage So maybe longer rotation forestry, you know, or it could be more resilience, more resilience to wildfires or, you know, big storms or or whatever kind of disturbances you're expecting because of climate change. In reality, it's probably a little bit of both, but um, there's lots of different answers to what is climate smart forestry. And and some of it goes back to, you know, asking the, the construction project team and the owner, what do they care about? What are they trying to do? And how do we find forestry and forest products that align with that? Um, and then how do you get that into your project? Well, we're developing tools that sort of put forward best practices and case studies, you know, to try to reach a, a bigger audience. And then the reality is a lot of times that's you know, having someone on your project team who's helping with the responsible sourcing. And a sustainable Northwest is playing that role with the Portland Airport, for example, supporting that team. Uh, in their wood sourcing and their strategies around wood sourcing. So, you know, at some level um, until there's, you know, much broader expertise around the, you know, how do we find this stuff and how do we get it into our project? We see the role for uh, consultancies to help project teams articulate their goals around climate smart sourcing and then find wood that aligns with it. Um, You know, just as they're, you know, right now you want to do net zero water, you know, you probably hire a con- consultant who helps you think about net zero water strategies on your site and you to achieve that over time, your your team maybe gets that skill in house and you don't need to hire the consultant anymore or you want to do net zero energy. You know, maybe you have to have a solar designer come in and help you think about designing your project to generate enough energy. And obviously, the energy efficiency component has to be there. You know, over time, you build that in-house expertise we see wood sourcing as very similar it's another strategy to address climate change that right now probably needs a consultant to help you figure it out over time you know there are firms like zgf uh, in portland that's really really building its in-house capacity around around wood sourcing but that didn't happen on day 1 that they've got team members who spent years thinking about wood sourcing and you know, and that's really differentiated them from others, you know, in this case. And that's true for, I think, a lot of the firms that are working on living building projects or even lead platinum plus projects, or, you know, maybe it's, you know, well buildings or healthy building network. I mean, there's lots of different standards. You build that in-house capacity. Today, we're finding a huge new interest in in wood sourcing and thus, you know, the Climate Smart Wood Group is going to exist to support those teams uh, because that capacity doesn't exist inside most, of fir- most firms. At the level you really need to, when you're talking about figuring out what's happening in the forest and getting those products into your project.
0: Yeah, so it's it's basically we're we're trying to replicate Terry here. Have you know have a bunch of cherries running around because uh, he can o- he he can only handle so many calls from people like me.
1: I appreciate that, Jared. Um... As soon as Elon Musk can figure out how to like get my, my prototype knocked out out of his factory, no. <laughs> we'll be on the run then. Um, right. Yeah. I mean, I feel like um, other ways to scale this up. I feel like what we see sometimes, particularly in this weird pricing world that we've experienced with lumber and plywood over the last sort of year um, is even folks that aren't building uh, to a, a green building standard. But some of our remodelers here in Portland are, um, you know if the price is close it's it's no it's a no-brainer um for them to just switch over to fsc they're kind of fired up um their client they don't even tell their clients they just see it as a value set so i feel like it's it's a story that and the more they learn about what the benefits of fsc again it's kind of that like one-stop shop you get all these benefits so if the if they're paying 10% extra or 12 percent extra 15 for framing lumber plywood and it fits in their budget um it's it's a no-brainer and so like uh, the climate smart wood group is is really um is is really a good kind of like sort of coalescing this this group of of powerful conservation organizations to kind of get the word out there about that um but fsc brings products bring you so much more than just you know climate stability as we've talked about and and as you talk to folks about clean drinking water and you don't have to read too deep in Oregon public news to get, <laughs> uh, you know, get some information about degrading water systems here due to poor forestry. Um, you, people see that value as well. And so it's really about matching the value of the product um, with the value set of, of that sort of customer. And so, um, so yeah, I, I feel like uh I feel like those are kind of, that's the sort of best way to scale it up even outside of the green building, the green building world. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And Brad, I liked how you you sort of wove in that, you know, the voluntary carbon commitments with, I think, what we're seeing as a a gradually heightened awareness around embodied carbon, um, especially as, as people sort of better understand, you know, sort of the, that time value equation where we're saying, Well, we used to, we used to look mostly at operating energy and carbon because it just felt like, Hey, that's, that's most of the life, but with the urgency of climate change, you, you narrow that window and you say, who, uh, embodied carbon is a much bigger piece of the pie. And if we want to, you know, if we want to reach some of these, uh, goals and act quickly enough, that is a big piece of it. Uh, so I agree. I think, you know, some of these, uh, corporations that have those commitments, they, they may or may not be pursuing lead LBC, etc. but they, they could certainly be prioritizing things like, Hey, what, <laughs> what are my buildings made out of? Can I use more wood? Can I use less cement in my concrete? Can I, you know, use, uh, you know, low carbon steel, uh, and, and certainly, then that trickles down to the, um, you know, to that wood equation, which, as we've pointed out in a few ways, it can be or is a very complex equation when we start to say how much carbon did we save in this process? Uh, certainly less carbon intense than traditional concrete and steel, but those forest. Impacts, as as Brad you were noting, like each forest is different, each species is different, it is is an important element that not you know most of us don't understand uh, as a as like a quick calculator.
2: I just wanted to add something you mentioned. Obviously, uh, in a lot of cases, wood is in competition with concrete and steel. That you know, especially in mass timber structural uses. Uh, the reality is, every building is going to have concrete, steel, and wood in it, uh, to, to greater or lesser degrees. So, to some extent, these things are complements as much as as, as yeah. substitutes. Uh, yeah. But you know, uh, the the global engineering firm Arup did a study uh, a, a few years ago that's in the book called "The New Carbon Architecture," and what they found is that the worst case timber sourcing, which is long hauling distances from really degrading forestry. So this is a very niche case, but the worst case, the outer limit of forestry, emissions from that are actually higher than the best cases of concrete and steel where you're dealing with recycled materials and short hauling distances. So I'm not I'm not out shilling for concrete and steel. I want people to use wood, but I also don't want us to think that, oh, use wood and it's all fine. Even in the worst case, it'll still be better than the alternative. No, in the worst case, it might be just as degrading. And in fact, you're dealing with, I mean, most steel these days is recycled. So, you're, you know, you're, you're dealing with different dynamics. But, you know, forestry in its worst situation is causing species to become threatened or, or endangered or even extinct. You know, you're dealing with community impacts of people who live in and around those forests. So you're dealing with a whole range of of, of potential impacts that don't always get measured in the environmental product declaration or or whatever tool you're trying to use to understand understand this. So um, it really is important to think about the wood sourcing. Forests are a little bit unique, and I believe we have to hold them to higher standards than you know. We know that mining is not sustainable. Mining for aggregate is not sustainable. Mining for ore is not sustainable. By definition, mining is not sustainable. That's why we need to look at recycling those materials to the greatest extent possible. Uh, but forestry can be regenerative. It's actually the only major material category. I mean, sure, straw bale and hemp and kenaf and you know rammed earth and all these things are really interesting strategies for very niche uses. But of the major material categories, wood is the only one that has the potential to restore ecosystems if you do it right. We're in the anthropocene because humans have degraded the planet to such an extent and at such a scale that we are now the driving influence on planet on a planetary scale. If we just sustainability, you know, if we just hit sustainability today, we're just sustaining degradation. We actually need to aim for regeneration or restoration across uh, at a planetary scale and pick any other scale you want scale of a forest scale of a state or a county or a you know a region whatever your scale we need to restore that that ecosystem and so the opportunity on the table with forests is that they can actually help advance that goal in a way that no other major material can so i do believe we should hold wood packages to a higher bar and yes, in mass timber construction, the wood package is probably the driving cost. But, you know, mass timber is maybe 5% of construction right now, maybe. So the other 95%, the wood package is typically a relatively small, sure, single family housing it's a big part, but maybe it's $20 or $30,000 on a $300,000 house. Asking the the wood package to cost 5 or 10% more so we can invest in regenerative restorative forest management. To me that doesn't seem unreasonable when we think of the costs of climate change. That to me is the is well within the bounds of what we need to be doing. And how do we create I mean the answer on the table to me is should we be using market mechanisms and voluntary approaches that show the benefits or should we be using regulation? I I I have a personal opinion on that, but FSC is set up around incentive-based voluntary approaches. Is it enough on its own? No, it's not. We probably need to be doing more because the issue of climate change is so urgent. But um, I I think it's clearly a step in the direction that people should be thinking more and more carefully about.
0: Yeah, (laughs) great points. And I I love that sort of flipping to the to that positive of, of restoration and regeneration that there's just that immense opportunity in front of us. Uh, I guess maybe on that note, any, you know, anything really got you guys excited? Um, Brad, you mentioned the climate smart, uh, wood group is, is certainly an up and coming, uh, piece that we're looking forward to, but I don't know anything else really, uh, firing you guys up.
1: So we're really fired up here because we're working with a a new FSC company um, called Sankofa Lumber here in Portland. And I've done a little bit of research. I think they may be still the first one in the country to uh, offer an FSC 100% recycled product that is coming from construction debris bins. So this is not coming from old barns and bridges and water tanks and that sort of thing. This is all the material that's thrown away on a job site, whether it be residential or commercial gets funneled to this. Well, not all of it, but from a couple of different uh, job site haulers gets funneled to this company and they are sorting out framing lumber and plywood and OSB and um, making the lumber available for the next building project. Um, And in Oregon and Washington, um, that lumber can be used as a default graded number two um, piece of framing material, so it's excellent for blocking out windows or blocking out framing walls or temporary structure, uh, temporary uh, guardrails that OSHA requires on multi-leveled uh, building projects. Um, and so this is uh, this is sort of our SNW Woods first entree into a, a circular product that uh, it doesn't come it originally came from a forest, obviously, but uh, when it came to us, it did not. Um, it, it, it came off of the job site here in the Portland metro area. And um, and so, yeah, it's really we're really excited to kind of grow this along with Sankofa out into the market um, and, and and not only provide the recycled lumber but also talk to builders, home builders, general contractors, subcontractors, developers about using the types of haulers that would bring material back into the system. Um, so it's sort of the first time that we've been able to, you know, sort of go out and talk to folks not just about a, a new product that the, that can help them get to a, a really good embodied carbon story, but um, but also kind of talk about their operations a little bit more. So I'm quickly becoming an expert in, in job site hauling companies in the region, um, <laughs> which is not my purview, um, but it also requires um, a different mindset on design too. So, um, it, it, you know, because we have, uh, we have lots of products that are like lots of this lumber is sort of eight foot and less. And so, um, you know, when you're building up a, a home or a multifamily project um you know kind of talking to people about how they're using lumber are they taking a bunch of eight footers and chopping three feet off and using the five footer and chucking the three feet out well you know we we probably have five footers um lots of them so um so yeah so that's really an exciting uh new area for us to be operating in and um and yeah, and again, it's validated by through the FSC process, right? It would still be a great genuine story. Um, and you could tell that it was recycled or pulled off a job site because, you know, it there, it may be a little dirty. It doesn't look like a fresh piece of wood, but we've gone, the Sankofa has gone through the process of having their claims validated through um, FSC and that, that makes it, um, that much easier for someone to to kind of trust. So, you know, an
2: interesting interesting use, um, the Candida Building for Innovative Sustainable Design at Georgia Tech, uh, which is a certified living building. Um, Skanska was the general contractor. They actually created uh, load-bearing flooring assemblies using reclaimed two-by-fours as spacers in between structural two-by-sixes. So these are nail laminated flooring systems with a 2x4, then a 2x6, huh. then a 2x4, hmm. then a 2x6. And all the 2x4s are not structural. They are reclaimed material, so they didn't have to have the structural rating.
1: Nice. But
2: the 2 by 6s on their own are enough uh, to support the structural, the engineering needs. Um, but it was a way that they used a reclaimed 2 by 4s off of uh, old movie sets in Atlanta, to to do this, so that's an cool. interesting approach. I know a lot of folks are looking at nail and dowel laminated flooring assemblies. Um, the Bullet Center has a two by six flooring assemblies that are nail laminated uh, in Seattle, but this was a what they found that you didn't actually need every two by six; every other would be enough. So you could use reclaimed materials in between without worrying about the the structural rating, which I thought was pretty kind of a cool use and probably another way for. Uh, Sankofa to sell their materials.
1: Yeah, and that's a good point. I mean, we've definitely done some outreach to some of the CLT folks, uh, manufacturers around the region here, because some of the filler stock they use on their their three and their five ply layups, that, 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 that doesn't really matter. It's just wood to hold the adhesive to the other, to the actual structural piece of wood. Um, and so, so we, preliminary, uh, you know, feedback has been pretty positive. Um, we still need to scale up the inbound, um, you know, sort of the, the construction debris before we can really approach one of those uh, outfits with, uh, you know, truckloads or rail cars as they're used to buying. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> yes. there's promise, and you know, we're always looking to engage folks in, in new ways of, 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 uh, of, you know, bringing in more material and or like, um, yeah, new new homes for. This recycled product. So,
0: yeah, that is that is a great effort, Terry, and it sounds like a really neat, uh, you know, logistics and infrastructure challenge. Which another one of these cases, we you know, we just need more more people kind of thinking and problem solving around it. Be it the haulers and and those construction crews. You know, how do they organize their? Well, how do how do they how do they cut things? how do they sort things? And then where is it going? And it's, you know, as with so many things, it comes back to good, good early planning. If you, if you know that Senkova is going to swing by and pick up your, your extra pieces that are longer than three feet or whatever they're doing, you know, it's piece of cake, but if you're not, if that's not in your mindset, then boom, it's all, it's all going to either landfill or, um, you know, hog fuel. Uh, let's see brad any any uh, final things that are exciting you? Across North America, the forests are adding
2: carbon. So there are some, um, let's call them on the forest products industry side, or maybe the traditional industry would call it. Who would say that's good enough. We should just call all wood. Carbon neutral, and that's a conservative assumption because we're growing trees, and we're growing more than we're cutting. We're planting a hundred stems for every tree we cut. Whatever data point, there's a lot of them floating around, typically you know backed with solid marketing budgets. Uh, the reality is that that's not good enough. First of all, we have a responsibility. We don't need. Yes, we need to protect the Amazon, and we need to. Reduce deforestation in Indonesia and the Congo Basin and all of these places. We also have a responsibility in the United States to do better. We are, in fact, probably single, singularly responsible for the climate crisis in terms of the intensity of our emissions over the last hundred years. And and, you know, countries like Brazil and Indonesia and Democratic Republic of the Congo are actually much less responsible for the emissions that are in the atmosphere today. So I would argue that. in the U.S., we have a responsibility to do more than our share, given our level of development and our level of responsibility for the climate crisis. So, if we are, if we buy that premise, um, I would also suggest that just following what we've been doing in terms of forestry is not enough. And you know, the reality is that forestry is very site specific. So, two things can be true, and two things are true at the same time. Mm. On the one hand, trees are growing and adding carbon in the United States and in North America. And on the other hand, there is very destructive, degrading forestry that is ruining salmon habitat, poisoning streams and and wildlife in local communities, and emitting huge amounts of carbon, in many cases, for 10 to 30 years after harvest. You get these plugs of decomposition after a big harvest, after a 120-acre clear-cut, which is still... The standard in the Western United States. Oregon represents about a third of the forest products industry in the United States. 120 acres is the way things are done in Oregon. And, you know, same is true in Washington. I don't mean to just pick on Oregon. Uh, so it can be true that we're still adding trees and sequestering carbon continentally or nationally, and we should stop harvesting so intensively in places like Oregon and Washington, and we should be incentivizing and rewarding the admittedly smaller number of managers who are really trying to do good work. Some of those managers are FSC certified. We should absolutely support them. Um, some of them are not. Some of them are just using longer rotation forestry in a more sort of industrial way, or some of them are smallholders or you or know, tribes. There is a, a strong and growing body of evidence internationally, that um, indigenous guardianship of forests. So when indigenous people have uh, tenure over the lands, whether that's traditional or legal tenure, the environmental outcomes are better, more carbon storage, more biodiversity, less deforestation. We see similar trends in the United States as well. Indigenous managers tend to think longer term. They tend to think about their responsibilities to the land, not their values from it. So, uh, you know, I think we there's lots of ways that we can support better forestry in the United States. FSC, I would put forward, is the easiest way to do it. But um, this, this what I would call red herring of, oh, trees are growing, so we don't need to worry about it. Um, that's not good enough. We have a bigger responsibility, uh, if only to climate change, I would say to biodiversity and, and other values as well. But um, that's my, I guess, parting thought.
0: Yeah, that's great. Thanks for that. Terry, any, uh, any parting thoughts?
1: No, just keep, keep working hard. <laughs> As Brad started this whole thing off, this is hard work, but it's rewarding and uh, you can learn a lot along the way. And there are people out there uh, who are are happy to help you, you know, make your project meet, match your values. And um, Mm -hmm. and 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 yeah, that that's kind of where the rubber meets the road. Just do your research, find some trusting people to help you get to where you want to go.
2: Don't forget to get out into the woods. I mean, if you're going to do all this work, it can be about Excel spreadsheets and, you know, invoices, and that's important. But, you know, once in a while, if you care about the forests and trying to do right by them, you know, get out into the woods. FSC organizes forest tours every year. Uh, it takes a fair bit of work and planning to get, it's not the trees are there, but getting the right people out into the woods at the same same time, especially in the COVID era, uh takes a little bit of extra planning, but it is possible, and we love to do it. and frankly, nothing you know regenerates the human spirit uh, as much as a day in the forest with some other people talking about what's going on and 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 the difference it makes.
0: Yeah, that's great. i'm uh, I'm reading a <clears throat> sort of joint biography of of uh, Gifford Pinchot and john Weir and and they've made this same point around like, As we're trying to protect whatever area, um, you know, back then it was sort of the formation of national park system is like you got to get those decision makers out into nature and have them, you know, physically see it, and then you know that's where the that's when the magic happens when they get they they get on board. Uh, So yeah, great encouragement, Brad, that we should all all do that. Um, and, and Terry agreed, I, I think that, uh, or hopefully this, this podcast is a great, um, you know, education awareness for, for some, I, th- I think you guys did a great job kind of summarizing, uh, pretty su- succinctly sort of these complex interactions and it, you know, we could go on and on for sure, but, uh, you know, I, I feel like this is a nice distillation of, the factors involved, and you know how you can how you can jump in at at different at different scales from different angles. Uh, so, a lot of options out there. A lot of a lot of hard work to to still be done, but I feel like we're we're moving in the right direction. Uh, so, thanks both for uh, you know today's chat and for for all your all your work out in the in the world. Thank you.
2: Thank you, Jared. Really appreciate the opportunity. And uh, yeah, you know, in the immortal words of Ed Abbey, you know, be a half-hearted fanatic. Don't forget to get out into the woods. And, uh, you know, if nothing else, you'll outlive the bastards.
0: (laughs)
1: Awesome.